0: of Scripture together that many of you have memorized. I put it in the New American Standard Version because it's the closest thing to the the one I memorized in the King James that really doesn't make sense anymore. So uh, let's read this together, shall we? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. If the righteous will be rewarded in the earth... How much more the wicked and the sinner. Father, thank you for the word of God. Uh, we need to be provoked to uh, to think about what's eternally important around us every day, which is people who are lost and going to hell. Uh, we don't like to talk, uh, say that out loud, Lord. It sounds so harsh, but it's real. It's the reality of things. Jesus taught more on hell than he did on heaven. And uh, so, Father, help us with that, we pray. Bless us as your people as the word of God goes forth. May it not return to you void, but may it accomplish all of its purposes, Father. And we ask that your Spirit would lead and guide us. Open our hearts to you, we ask, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's people, side with me, please. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, when I was a child, I would often have to ask my mother or my father when something actually was ripe in the garden. I was still trying to figure stuff out. Uh, still learning. Still learning. When is a green bean ripe? Well, it has to be the right size, not too small, or it gets rubbery, not too large, then it gets what, church? It gets tough. It's hard to eat, and that's things turning into seed. Um, you don't want it too smushy. You want it, as my mother say, so that it can do what? So it can snap. Uh, that's why she said, let's go snap green beans, and... Uh, we went out and did chores together. Well, what about sweet corn? You know, what you need to do is wait until the whole plant's dead. And all God's people said, if you want seed corn, but you don't want seed corn, you want sweet corn. So the thing you need to look for is the tap, not the tassel. Tassels on the top of the corn. The, the silk, yeah, at the end of the ear. You want that to turn dark brown or black, and then you want to pull it back a little bit to see if the the kernels are filled out, that they're nice and juicy. Push your thumb on there. If it squirts at you, you're good to go. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hey, let's just call it quits and go get lunch. What do you think? All right. You know, uh, cantaloupe, melons, the same way. You know, if they look like they're going to fall off the vine, you'd get a little twist. If it pops, it's probably ready to go. Watermelon, the same way. Well, there was an old farmer who was sick and tired of the neighborhood teens stealing all his watermelons out of his watermelon patch. They were just about ready to get all harvested. And so he went out and he made a sign, and he stuck it proudly right in the middle of the patch, and it said, one of these watermelons is filled with poison. He proudly put the sign out in the middle of the patch. The next morning, to his delight, none of his melons were gone. Yes. He turned around to look at his artistic work on the sign and his face fell because someone had crossed out the one and put two. Uh (laughs) Yeah. As you very well know throughout the series on God's garden, Jesus is often using everyday agricultural things to teach spiritual lessons to his people. Today's lesson is the last lesson in this series on God's garden. Uh, World Day of Prayer comes up in October. Uh, Bob, uh, Robert Wal- Walter is going to be here next week, Day of Prayer. And then we head into the Jewish Feast in September. And so we're going to go through uh, Yom Teruah, uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. All three of those things which are very, very important in the, in the cycle of events that God has for us. And then it'll lead us into thanksgiving issues. I want us to have you turn, please, to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, if you would, this morning. Matthew 9 and 35 is where we're at. Very familiar passage of scripture, but I hope you can uh, learn some uh, wonderful things through this. I'm going to read this and then I'm going to do some old-fashioned preaching stuff with you today. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Uh, Probably about 40, 50 years ago, the way they taught you to preach was through alliteration. Anybody know what that is? So every point that I'm going to have today is going to start with the same letter. That's what the old preachers used to do. So I'm going to do that today because I just found a great pattern P is where we're after today. All these things are going to start with the letter P as we move through. So for those of you taking notes, uh, you can fit in with that. So what we see in verse 35 is actually the pattern of Jesus's ministry. He would go from town to town and he would go to village to village As a good Jewish man, he would always go to the synagogue where he would try and teach them the truths of God, separating out the traditions of men. If you think about the uh, Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Beatitudes where Jesus would say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. He was always correcting what the religious leaders were teaching because it was based on oral law, those 613 commandments, if you would, if not more. And Jesus just kept pushing those to the side and kept getting at the heart of God because that was Jesus' intent, was to kind of bring truth to God's people. He wanted to proclaim the good news, the gospel, that the kingdom of God was near. And for his audience, that would have been a ray of hope Before his enemies, including the religious leaders, that would have been an act of treason, which is what they're going to actually get after him for anyway. And then he would go out into the surrounding public spaces or in homes and he would heal the sick and he cast out demons. By the way, he didn't heal the sick just to heal the sick. Healing of the sick was a way of demonstrating that the kingdom of God is here or that the kingdom of God is near then it would come, it, over, it would overcome this world, it would overcome the darkness, it would overcome demonic activity, it would overcome brokenness and health and healing and relationships. All of those things that Jesus did outwardly as far as his public ministry was not just to bring happiness to the people, it was to demonstrate the difference between living in the kingdom of darkness and living in the kingdom of light something that his disciples would have to figure out. In fact, the 40 days between his uh, resurrection and his ascension, that's all he taught the disciples. He taught them the difference between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and the good news was to follow that kingdom of light. That was the pattern of Jesus' ministry. Look with me, please, at 36. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed or harassed, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The next P was a deep conviction for me as I studied this week, and I hope it is for you as well. And that's this. Jesus perceived. Jesus perceived. He became acutely aware of those who were around him. He, In other words, he paid attention. He paid attention to people. As Charles Dickens so famously wrote, Of the interaction between the ghost of Jacob Marley and the Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. But Jacob, you were a good businessman. Business, cried the ghost, wringing his hands again. Mankind was my business. Charity and mercy and forbearance and benevolence were all my business. It wasn't money. That was the whole point. How many times do we enter a room or enter into a public space and never perceive others? It's as if they're living ornaments or fleshly furniture, moving objects that fill space, but have no relevance or importance to me, let alone to God. But that was not the case with Jesus. You see, mankind was his business. And he perceived people. He was acutely aware and understood the suffering of those around him. He saw their loneliness. He saw anger and bitterness. He saw their hopelessness. He saw their outward pain, but also the pain of their heart. And it's what motivated him to serve. And by the way, Jesus still sees that today in the church. He sees it in the world. He's acutely aware of what's going on. People were, if I can give you another P. People were Jesus's passion. With Jesus' passion. He saw the crowds, and the scripture tells us that he had what, church? Do you see it in the verse? Yeah, he had compassion on them. Compassion. The word compassion can be translated a gut wrenching reaction. It was more than an, oh, I feel so sorry for those folks. That's not what that word means. It means I hurt. I have empathy for these people and I want to do something to alleviate their pain and their suffering. Jesus saw them and had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Other translations say they were distressed and downtrodden or they were thrown down. That's a good visual for me. Why? Why? Well, because they had no shepherd to guide them, to care for them, or to protect them. By the way, Jesus was actually indicting the religious leaders at this point because they failed to do their job. I want you to look with me at Ezekiel 34, 1 and 2. This is a great uh, elder pastoral passage. The whole chapter is, the word of the Lord came to me. It said, son of man, prophesy against whom, church? Against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of, of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the, of the flock, of the sheep? Look at Ezekiel 34, 11, and 12. This is Ezekiel's prophetic insight into the person of Jesus. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and I will look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. And of course, in John chapter 10, Jesus says that those great I am passage, he says what? I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd who takes care of his sheep. I'm not a a hireling. When the sheep are in trouble, I don't run away. When the bear comes or the lion comes, I fight it. I stand my ground. I am the good shepherd. I'm the true shepherd. I'm the only shepherd of the sheep. And Ezekiel was prophetically seeing Jesus do that. Jesus had a, a passion for his people He also saw so much potential for the kingdom work to see people saved from their sin and from their burdens to be the one to alleviate their suffering. If you could do that, I want you to look with me, please, back in our text in Matthew to 37. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is what, church? It's plentiful. It's out there, church. It's all around us. Problem." But the workers are what? The Workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, church. The harvest, it meant that the people were ripe for good news. It meant that they were waiting and yearning for what Jesus had to offer. They just needed to hear it and to have an opportunity to respond to the message. And my questions for you today are this. Do you think people are ripe for good news today? Do you think people all around you could use some hope? Yes. Good night, church. I think that there is an amazing disconnect between followers of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. I honestly think we forgot what we're supposed to do. We're here for one purpose. What is it? To share the good news of Jesus with people who are dying And going to hell. That's what we're supposed to do. We do it in a hundred different ways. We do it through sofa. We do it through taking care of elderly folks. We do it through hospital visitation. And nursing home visitation. We do it through youth group. We do it through... Church services, we do it in a hundred different ways, but the single focus of us is to reach people for Christ and to share the good news with them. And I find that we've got a really big disconnect between that. We're not looking for people. Just to throw out a question, when's the last time you invited someone to church? When's the last time you prayed to ask and ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with someone. Have you ever done that? I wonder how many followers of Christ go through their entire life, their their entire followership of Christ on this earth, and never one time ever share the good news with anyone. I bet you it happens more times than not. Either because they're not equipped, or because they're... Maybe embarrassed, or maybe because they're fearful of how people will respond, or maybe just through life neglect. Life gets busy, you know, you just move on, and before you know it, uh, you don't have opportunity to do that. But I think it's important for us to be reminded of what that is, because I want to go back and once again remind us that there's a problem, because there is a harvest all around us. The problem is not the harvest. The problem is what? It's the workers. I can't get people to go out. Can't get people to serve. You can't get people to do anything. They want to come to church. They want to be fed, but they don't want to serve. It's like a sponge that just keeps taking in water, but never gets squished, never gets used. That's a bad place to be. You get bloated scripturally. We need to press out and move out and start reaching people and start serving wherever we can, uh, folks have limitations, but we still need to press in and get after what God has called us to do, which is reaching as many people as possible. You know, if we put this in, the, in an example of, of, uh, of a war, for example, if we think about World War I, World War II, uh, where you've got multi-nations gathering together, fighting a common enemy, you know your value system becomes very, very clean at that point, doesn't it? A lot of frivolity goes to the side because A, you don't have enough food. You may not have any electricity. Uh, You may not have a place to live. You might be a transient because your house has been blown to pieces. I don't know what it might be, but at some point you begin thinking, gosh, the only thing that matters is me surviving this. How do I survive? How How am I going to get saved out of this? We have to have that mentality with others around us. How can I rush into their burning building and pull them out? Because they don't know their house is on fire. But it's going to end, end up killing them, And all God's people said, please. Yeah, there's going to be, this is not, this not games. This is not, oh, well. This is, oh, my gosh, my heart hurts for you. I, I, what can I do? How can I pray? Lord, open the door. The house is on fire. And they're in, in the middle of their house at the dining room, eating supper, watching television. They don't know anything's happening that's going to come down on top of them. God, how can, I, how can I convey the good news of Jesus and help them with that? Well, Jesus does give us an answer to do this. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. What's another word for ask? Pray. It's not difficult, is it? Pray. Pray and ask the Lord for that which is important. What is the solution to a field ready for harvest and few labors to bring it in? Prayer. Ask. Pray. Seek. Plead. Beg. Ask God for more workers. Ask God to help you be one of them, actually. There's one last P that I want to share with you. It's partnership. It's the Lord's harvest. I want you to see the possessional language here. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His field. It's God's harvest. It's His field. All these things, all the fruit belongs to Him. But we have an amazing privilege And it's to do what? It's to co-labor with Him. It's to help Him bring in the harvest. In fact, God has designed this earthly system to such a degree that, yes, God could do it Himself, but He doesn't. He invites us into this wonderful work of sharing the good news with other people. Partner with God. What an eternal thing to think about. Before we close, I just want us to listen to an old song. It probably came out a couple years ago, but when I heard it, just it captured me. And um, I looked up the video for it. And I just want to play that for you. And then I want to just press in and see if we can make some decisions today. Do I need to press twice on that, dem, I wonder? Nope. Oh. Sound, Larry? Is it coming on the video? I don't see it moving, Dub. I'm stuck.
1: Look down from a broken sky Traced out by the city lights My world from a mile high Best seat in the house tonight Touchdown in the cold black top Hold on for the sudden stop Breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos Are those people going somewhere? Why have I never cared? busy street, see a girl and our eyes meet, does her best to smile at me, to hide what's underneath. There's a man just too right, black suit and a bright red tie, too ashamed to tell his wife he's out of work, he's buying time, oh.
0: Let's have some prayer together, shall we?